<laughs> so good to see you all here today. We're not going for long the time. I was very elated when Pastor Bourne invited me to come today. He said he's going to be preaching somewhere else this morning. And so I'm praying that God will bless him wherever he may be at this time. I think he did mention that. I don't I forgot where he went. But in a way I I did not take this as a triple vacation, a triple pleasure. Because I thought when I was leaving Winter Haven, Polk County, that I was coming to a new environment where people enjoy working. Until I heard what I heard today in our Sunday school, that we're living in times, it seems like everywhere, that nobody wants to work. They just want to be at home, smoking that little, little stuff they call it. They want to call it homeless activity. But we got a chef over there in Polk County that's on play. Now you can mess around with that stuff for your owner. <laughs> he don't play. You're going to find yourself, amen, in jail. And also I want to add this. I want to thank you, Brother Mike, for that Sunday school lesson that we we talked about because Sodom and Gomorrah is all around us. Nothing new been around here for the longest but it seems like now people are getting more bolder not afraid to come out of the closet this is the lifestyle that God does not tolerate and this is the lifestyle that we must not tolerate as well and so we have a job to do and the job today is to continue to tell others about Jesus today without prolonging the time I want to take a look at Mark chapter 6 verses 1 through 6 in our first hour, Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 6. And to those who are able to stand, we ask that you stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to pray, and then we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us to establish some truths today. As we talk about the rejection of the servant Jesus at Nazareth. The rejection of the servant Jesus at Nazareth. From the King James Version, you will find these words, And he, that is Jesus, went out from thence, and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he shall do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went around about the villages, teaching. Let us pray. Father, we come, this is your hour, we come to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray, Father, that our worship will be acceptable. We can only worship through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that the message that is going to be proclaimed today, that you will unstop our deaf ears, open up our hearts, and help us, Father, to receive the truths that you have for us today in your word. Forgive us, Father, where we have failed you. We pray now. That uh, you'll be glorified in all 
and the preaching of your word, bringing those who are lost by way of, of the gospel and by way of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. You may be seated. The rejection of the servant Jesus at Nazareth. Now, this is a familiar uh, account, is it? You can find that account also in Matthew, and you can find it also in Luke. But I don't want to look at Matthew. I don't want to look at Luke. I want to take a look at what Mark says concerning the rejection of Jesus at Nazareth. Jesus, by the way, is now in 26 months of his ministry, and that's what, two years and two months? And we're only in chapter 6 because from chapter 6 to the end of Mark, Jesus is getting close to the purpose, the reason why he came. He did not come to deliver us from hell, but he came to deliver his people from their sins. And that's what we need to talk about, sin. Why do we need to talk about sin? It's because Jesus dealt with sin in his ministry. And not only did he do it by way of prayer, but he carried out what he was called to do by way of Mount Calvary, by way of the works that he did on Calvary. And we thank God that that was enough. When they buried him, he stayed there three days and three nights, and he rose again for our justification and all that is very very important now jesus earthly ministry we believe the last about three and a half years is that right and so jesus is now uh, well on into the second year of his ministry and he's been doing all of the teaching is that right teaching who teaching his disciples now i want to add this before we go on any further in this chapter, you'll find the servant Jesus is returning to his own hometown. Somebody said, there's no place what? Like home. All right. We're going to see what's going to happen there in his hometown. I expect to hear some good things. Is that right? In, in our hometown, preaching the word of God. Man, I got to get back to my hometown. And, but, of course, now, we knew that Jesus knew well ahead what was going to happen in his hometown. Is that right? And so we need to point that out. You know, he wasn't surprised. But his disciples thought everything was going to be what? Smooth. <laughs> and, and see, when you find things running smooth in your own hometown, there's a possibility that you're not doing something right. Is that right? You better look at yourself because something may be wrong. Because I learned now that your hometown, when you stand up for the truth, is not going to invite you. It's not going to be such happy. Look at this little boy coming in here. This little boy coming back to town, but he got a lot to say, and we just can't get it. I don't know where he get this, all this stuff from, but we're going to find all this in our, in our scriptures today. Now, I believe that this paragraph before us, Mark chapter uh, 6, verses 1 through 6, Throw, uh, throws a shadow of unbelief over the triumphant ministry of Jesus. But let me say this. Even though many out there do not believe, Jesus' ministry will always what? Be triumphant. That doesn't change anything. Is that right? You can say, I don't believe that. Not going to change anything. This is Brown. Is that right? I think it is. 
And you may want to say it's another color. Well, I'm here to preach the truth. This is brown. Oh, no, this is green. Well, you know what? Not going to change it because you're saying in your mind it's green. It's still what? It's still brown. Is that right? And so what I want to say today, no matter how people may marvel and how many people may disagree and get offended over the truth, the truth will never change. Amen. So that's the problem that we have today is because many today, especially those who professing to be Christians, are doing their very best to change the truth. And I'm here today to tell you, you can't do that. But it's so unfortunate that we have men and women who are caught up in what we call total depravity, so blind that they accept anything to come along their way. But we must also reveal, uh, I mentioned that in this chapter, it reveals the rejection of Christ. And I believe that the rejection of Christ always has its basis in man's blindness and sin. Wherever there is sin, there will be what? Blindness. And so they will never be able to see it this way. And, and not only that, when you are locked in a condition, this is what sin does. You know, when we come into this world, we are lost. We are locked into a, a locked condition. You know, we are lost. Is that right? We are spiritual dead. That's the condition that we, are, that we are in. There's no way that we can come out of that condition on our own. We need someone from the outside to free us from that condition. Is that right? And that someone is no other than Jesus. And so we're going to be making sure that we talk about him highly as possible. John Calvin says, our own belief is the only impediment which prevents God from satisfying us largely and beautifully with all good things. That's sad. Is that right? Our own unbelief. We lose this a whole lot because of what? Unbelief. We don't enjoy the blessings of God. Why? Because of unbelief. Anyway, just get sick and see how much believing that we have in that. Every one of us has the tendency of doubting in the time of our sickness. But let me say this here to you today. Your unbelief is going to get you in a lot of trouble. Your unbelief will hinder the work of God. And that's what we see here in our text today. When there is unbelief, it will cause difficulties. All right? And now listen to this. This chapter is filled with opportunities, and opportunity is simply defined as a set of circumstances that make it possible to do something. I love that. Make it possible. God gives us positive circumstances in the midst of what can be unfavorable, that something can be done. But let me say this. Some opportunities were missed, and we're going to see that here in chapter 6 because of what? Of unbelief. Much opportunity was going on in his hometown. But because of unbelief, they were missed. And then there were some opportunities was enjoyed because of what? Of faith. And I want to say this to you before we mess this thing up. <laughs> is that everybody in Nazareth did not experience our show and belief. There were some that believed. I just want to, want, to, want to say that for the record. The majority was unbelievable. Is that right? But the small numbers were true believers. Is this a picture of God's two churches today? 
I think it is, Brother Mike. I think I think it is. There's a picture of his his two churches. You have a lot of of, of names on side of buildings, and they call themselves two churches. But two churches of God will always adhere to what's in this book. God says in this book is where we stand. Is that right? You want to know what truth is? God's word. What God says. And because you will not accept it, it still stands true. <laughs> is that right? It's true. And you know, like, like I tell them, I said, I'm not upset. I said, you getting all upset. I said, truth still stands. You just, just, it's just natural to, to, to have the same, uh, uh, I call it a response. You know, when the truth is being proclaimed, you're going to have that reaction. And that reaction is either to obey it or to reject it. And many people they are rejecting God's word. And, and let me say this before we go on. There's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Did y'all know that? Big difference. See, doubt says, I can't believe. <laughs> unbelief says, I won't believe. See the difference between that? See, doubt said, I can't. Amen. And then, uh, uh, unbelief says, I won't. And that's the sad part about it. Now, what is rejection? In your, look at in your Bible, so John chapter 1, verse 11. And I think that the Bible speaks of itself in a biblical definition called the Word of God. John chapter 1, and verse 11, I believe, gives us the biblical definition of rejection. He came unto his own, and his own believed him not. The biblical definition defined rejection as receive him not. Whoa. That Greek word there for receive. See, receive means to accept. It means to acknowledge one to be such as he professes to be. And receive means not to withhold obedience. But take the opposite of that. Receive him not. They did not accept Christ as being who he professed to be. And that's the danger. In knowing God, you have to believe God is who he say he is as he revealed himself to us by way of his word. The truths that God gives us in his word. We must not doubt. Is that right? We must believe. We must accept. We must receive. And then when we receive his truth, it will always be accompanied by obedience. Keep that in mind. You cannot receive the truth opposite of being disobedient. Obedience and receiving go together. Now, look what verse 1 says in Mark chapter 6 as we provide you with the exposition here of this paragraph. Mark 1 and Mark 6 and verse 1 says, And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. Now, what I want you to do in this short amount of time, I want you to strap on your sandals, and let us begin walking with Jesus and his disciples as he visits his hometown. That's the best way that we can approach this. Amen. See, not only do we see Jesus entering and walking to his hometown and his disciples, let's follow. 
Let's peep in and take a look at what is going on. And see, I believe we should be aware by the wonderful purpose of God that Christ remained in private life he was about, about 30 years of age. And so in between the time of his birth and the age of 30, we have very little information concerning Jesus. And I believe it's very important. Uh, I don't think we need to know all that went on. Whatever we had, I believe when he was uh, at the age of 12, they found in the synagogue doing what? Dealing with questions, is that right? <laughs> Amen. Now that's a, a, a lesson all by itself. Now, the text said Jesus went out from thence. That means he had left Capernaum. Now, remember, Nazareth, well, Bethlehem was the place where Jesus was born, is that right? And so he made Nazareth his hometown. Now, this is not the first trip, by the way. This is the second trip that Jesus made to Nazareth. In his first trip, they rejected him. Even from his own hometown. And so, therefore, he had to move his ministry from Nazareth to Capernaum. And then you found out that was his home base. Now, I would love to have my home base in my hometown. Is that right? <laughs> I in my hometown where people know me. Yeah, I think that's the problem. People knew you prior to your conversion. That's the problem. Then all of a sudden, what happened? God saves you. You are converted. And see, the people don't want to see the new you. They're so familiar seeing the way that you used to be before you left. And it was difficult for Jesus to operate from his own hometown. Now, listen to this. Note what it says. And his disciples follow him. I love that. Now, you know what that means? It means that Jesus was not going to his hometown for a social visit. Is that right? But he went there to visit him. And I can see what uh, Brother Coleman, Robert Coleman, called the master plan of evangelism. See that word, follow him? An important word for a disciple to do. See, follow, follow him. <laughs> see, uh, uh, follow him is a teaching method that Jesus used in, in, in those days. Is that right? See, it wasn't like what we do here today. And I think we ought to go by, uh, uh, go back to that point. Follow him. That means that wherever Jesus went, where his disciples were, they was following him. Is that right? They weren't way back over in the distance. That's not following him. They was up on him. They was around him. He went to the right. Where did they go? They went to the right. He went to the left. What happened? They went to the left. Now, they followed him closely because they want to hear every word that came out of his mouth. Is that right? He was teaching them. He was training them. Teaching them what? The truth from God's word. I love that. This is the teaching method that Jesus used to train these disciples to learn his ways. See, this is the problem. See, we want to learn our own ways. No, 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 no. In order to uh, follow Jesus, you have to learn his way. Is that right? Follow Jesus. Imitate Christ. Talk like Christ. Talk like Christ. Is that right? 
He wants to smell like Christ. <laughs> Is that right? Everything about Christ, that ought to be our focus. I want to dress like Christ. Uh-oh. People don't want to hear that. Yeah. So how can we dress like Christ? That means we ought to dress right when we come to God's house and dress right when we go out and put Is that right? Look like child of God. Look like Christians. Instead of looking like some of these old tramp people that I see down the, down the road walking around. We have a possibility of living holy too. And that's very, very important. Do as Christ says. Follow him. Now, in this walk, the disciples began to see the response by many to Jesus' message. See, I love that. I, I love that because by following Jesus now, they didn't know what was going on. Jesus was going to his home. They didn't know what Jesus was up to. Is that right? <laughs> but he wasn't going on a social visit. And uh, Jesus wanted to, uh, to show his disciples what their own hometown, their own kinspeople would think of him. Is that right? Now, what would your hometown think of you? I think that's a good question. Now, I'm not talking about after conversion, before conversion. Man, I was doing some stuff before I was converted. And after conversion, I found myself looking like I'm sinning more after conversion. And to be honest about it, because I had no aware of, uh, of what sin was prior to my conversion. and didn't care about it. Until afterwards, it seemed like, wow, I'm doing it. I'm catching myself sinning every day. And that's something that I think we ought to hold on to for a while. See, they will begin to learn about counting the cost by following Jesus. Is that right? They will learn what Jesus meant in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall save it. See, as we ponder this, and desire to walk the same road with Jesus, we should ask the question, am I willing to walk the same road as Jesus walked? This is what we're trying to say here today. Are you willing to walk the same road as Jesus walked? And I want to say this to you today. As Jesus and his disciples, it is not a road where there will be comfort all the time. You're going to be talked about. You're going to be lied upon. People are going to get mad at you because you're not what you to be. And you find your so-called friends abandoning you. I say, good. You weren't my real friends anyway. See, only those who follow Christ, our relationship ought to be stronger with others who also what? Likewise follow Christ. See, that's the unity that we ought to have. We ought not be, be associating with people that hate Christ, but yet I'm following Christ and you hate Christ, but yet, oh, you're my friend. No, it don't work that way. And a lot of people get upset. Well, I got unsaved friends. Well, I'll leave that alone. <laughs> but I, I believe, brethren, that we're talking about separation. We're not talking about basic friendship, but godly separation. Now, note in verse two very quickly. I believe that Jesus was giving them a second chance. You will note in verse 2 that the people were shocked by his preaching. That's the first thing I want to mention to you today. That's in verse 2. 
Verse 2 says, And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? Now, the word Sabbath day speaks of the Jewish day of worship. Is that right? Which was on the seventh day of the week. But the text says, when the day of worship came, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. Now, do you know the story behind that? The custom of the, of the leader, the minister in the synagogue. A lot of people don't, don't know. Now, Jesus just then just started off teaching, got there in the synagogue. All right, I got it from here. No, 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 no. There was, all, all, there was a minister that was in charge of that synagogue. And after reading the, the scriptures that they would read through regular and often, he would give his exhortation upon the scriptures. And then if he knew that there was a, an a, 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 a esteemed teacher of the gospel such as Jesus was, he would give that person the opportunity to speak. And that's what they'd done back then when in Charles Spurgeon days. He would speak a little bit. And then his son comes in. He said, well, I'm going to let my son take it from here. <laughs> and so this is what we got, got here. See, things must be done decently and in order. And so when he got through, he invited Jesus to come. But note what the, the, the scripture says. He began to teach. Now, you know what I put into this? And I believe I, I put into this the right interpretation of that. When Jesus was asked if he had anything to say, you know what Jesus' response was? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and that's ought to be the attitude of every true believer when we go to the house of God. When you know you're in a church that's not teaching the word of God. And they wouldn't, in that synagogue, they didn't think about what Jesus was getting ready to say here. Is that right? That should be our opportunity when they're asked to do what? To say, sir, I'm going to ask. I want to say this. But now note here. He began to teach, but it doesn't say what he taught. Is that right? Now, now, come on now. <laughs> we have to understand that what we see in the Word of God is not all that occurred during that time. Is that right? All that stuff is missing. We just only have a summary of what went on in that synagogue. And, then, and so that's why you see different writers writing their different account of what happened. And there's a reason why... Uh, their account may be a little different, but it doesn't mean that they're contradicting each other because we can have an event happen here, right? Stand right over here. I can do something. Well, I can go back and ask uh, uh, some questions concerning me on that piano, right? And then I go sit down and everybody write their account. Guess what's going to happen? Their account going to be in different variations. Is that right? They're going to say, well, he had on a, a pink shirt. Somebody may say, <laughs> do I have pink? <laughs> But anyway, that's what we perceive, is that right? And so we have to lead, lead criticism like that. That's why I just want to focus in upon what Mark's saying. Now, we know Jesus taught doctrines, is that right? Because I want to say this. To teach means to provide instructions. And this word teach means to teach in a way that the students will be conformed to whatever doctrine that is being taught. Is that right? And that's why Pastor Bowen has to be very, very careful, you know, when he leaves. We don't want somebody to come in here 
uh, and, and, and put one message together to tell what he done put together for all these years he's been over here at Grace Valley. Is that right? So we have to be very careful. And the members ought to be wise enough, hey, we're not going to believe that. We're not going to accept that. That's your responsibility to reject any disobedience that is occurring that is opposite what Pastor Bourne has said. Is that right? And then he has to deal with me later. Is that right? And so he deal with me by telling me not to come back. And that's the best way to do it. Is that right? And so it may seem rough and harsh, but it's, it's not harsh. I want to say this. Doctrine determines direction for our behavior. Is that right? Sound doctrine will produce what? Sound behavior. Keep that in mind. Now, the doctrine has to be believed in order, you know, for it to, you have to believe those doctrines. You have to say, this is what I want my lifestyle to be because of what the teaching that I'm hearing, the instructions that I'm getting. Because you have to understand that, that sheep, when they don't listen to the word of God, what happens? They listen to anything, anything that may sound good. That's the problem we have in the majority of our churches that you got people that don't study the word of God. They leave all the studying up to the pastor. And then, then when the pastor go in error, what happens? They go in error too. But you got to have someone to know the word of God. That's very, very important. Now, notice the response from, from these people. You know, Jesus taught and said, when the word of God is being what? Proclaimed, there's going to be a response. Either you're going to receive or you're going to do what? You're going to reject. And that's very, very important. Now, merely hearing him was astonished. That means the crowd was large. They were astonished. They did not understand what Jesus was saying. And, and a lot of these people in churches today really don't understand what the preacher is saying. They really don't understand the word of God because there's nothing in them. Because Pastor Bourne can stand here, or myself, we can stand here and preach, but we can't get you to understand it. We can't make you understand the word of God. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That's his work. Is that right? We present the and, and it's the Holy Spirit. It is he who brings about that understanding. And so... They didn't understand what, 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 what Jesus was saying. So Mark 4 and verse 15 says, uh, And these are they by the wayside, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and take away the word that, have, that was sown in their heart. And, see, and, and the word astonished simply means to strike out. It means to blow, to drive out all away. They were astonished. Why? They were filled with amazement that they were so overwhelmed, they went into shock. What happened here? That's what that word astonished me. They were so much amazed that they went into shock. Wow. Good word, is that right? But that's the truth. That's what happened. Jesus presented the doctrine, and the response was they were overwhelmed because they didn't want to accept what, they were, what he was saying. Is that right? So they went into shock. So they start, start uh, uh, saying some other things that we see here. Their amazement turns to skepticism and even ridicule. See, let's listen to this. Not only, Brother Mike, will they attack what you're saying, but they will get personal with you. This is what they did here. See, in rapid fire succession, Mark 5 records five questions. I meant Mark 6. Yeah. <laughs> 
8, Mark 6, records five questions, and they began to make a point about themselves. They were simply wisecracks. They were, they were, they were just being, being wisecracks, that's all. And look what they said. From whence have this man these things? You know, they had seen him for 30 years as a citizen of Nazareth and never heard or seen anything in him like they are seeing now. See the amazement of that? When God changed your life, what's going to happen? Wow! Look at this. See, you can expect that. Because I want people to see the conversion that God has worked in my life. They should see newness of life. Is that right? They should see my behavior unchanged as a result of salvation. That's the evidence that you're saved. You're going you're to have a changed lifestyle. You're not going to do the things that you used to, used to do. You won't have the desire. I'm not saying that your life is going to be such that you'll be living in what we call sinless perfection. I didn't say that. We're still going to sin daily. That's a work, work, work that is in progress in our lives. We sin every day. And the, and the sad thing about it, and I said over and over again, we sin because there are some sins that we know that we, have, we are doing it, and then there are some sins that we don't know that we are committing. That's the scary part of sin. And you got people living in, in those lifestyles and, and following uh, lesbianism and all that, and it, it is sad, and we don't want to be hard upon them. In reality, they don't know what they're doing because of the depravity that they are in. And then, what wisdom is, which is given unto him? Whoa. That even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. They were so angry at him, Brother Mike, they heard reports in Capernaum, in other areas where Jesus was, was healing people. Is that right? And now he comes in and do some things in, the, in his own hometown. They're not worrying about the few healings that he done. They're upset at what you're saying. <laughs> they're upset at his words. They're upset at his wisdom, and they're upset at his works. That's what that talks about here. And then they went on into verse 3, and they began to take him personally, as I stated. Is not this the carpenter? And by the way, let me say this here for the record. By saying that Jesus was a carpenter, they were not doing it as a compliment. They were stating his occupation was nothing more than a builder. You're only a builder. That means you are no better then we are. And why should we listen to you? And that's the attitude that you got among people here today. Ridicule. Is not this the son of Mary? Now you know, the, this, is, this, this is the only place in the Bible where Jesus called the son of Mary, by the way. Not a compliment. They was, was not complimenting him now. Him. See, because it was contrary to Jewish usage to describe a man as the son of his mother, even when she was a widow, except in insulting forms. Sons were always identified by their fathers, even after their death. Keep that in mind. And rumors was going around that Jesus was a illegitimate offspring, and therefore what they were calling him when they said the son of Mary 
they was calling him an illegitimate child, and he was calling Mary a whore. And it's not the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and, and Simon that are, that are being here. Now, we know that these brothers, if you know the Bible, John chapter 7, verse 5, I give you that because I got to hasten. John chapter 7, verse 5 says, For neither did his brethren believe in him. His brother did not believe in him. Uh, 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 and that means that his sisters probably didn't either. And I know Mary had a difficult time pondering her heart, all that, what she kept and was given to her, and then seeing her children acting like that towards Jesus. Well, that's in the normal family, is that right? Yeah. Every family have trouble. I don't want to hear you thinking that your only family got trouble. Everybody's family has trouble. Now look at this. We don't know the name of the sisters. But through all of that, I want to look at the words, and they were offended at him. Whoa. They were shocked, and they were horrified by Jesus. They couldn't believe what he was saying. They couldn't believe he was here. What gave him the audacity to think he's better than us, delivering such doctrine? But he does it with authority and with power. He's not saying it the same way that the rabbis would say it. He's saying it something totally different, like he has power and authority. And yes, he does. And somebody responded by saying, homeboy has gotten a big, big for his riches. Hasn't he? That's the attitude that I hear people today. Just like the rocky ground in Mark chapter 4, verse 16 through 17. And these are they like the sown on stony ground who when they heard the word immediately received it with gladness and have no root in themselves so endure before time afterward when affliction or persecution arises for the world's sake immediately are offended. In other words, they rejected Jesus. And then verses 4 through 6, the people were shown by his power. Look what it says in verses 4, 5, and 6. Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could dare do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and killed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went around about the villages teaching. Jesus said a popular proverb that was that was present in that day, but that popular proverb was about an unpopular prophet. Jesus said, A prophet is not with but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. Whoa. This is Jesus' response to the ugliness of the people. The people said more than what is recorded here, by the way. You got to understand, I, can, I don't imagine what other things they were saying. They rejected Jesus. They rejected his message. And so Jesus responded by giving them a common proverbial expression. In other words, Jesus was saying, familiarity breeds contempt. That's what he was saying. And he talks about the three decreasing circles of the person, his own country, among his own kin, and his own house. This is a picture of me. 
What I mean, country, I'm not talking about the United States. I'm talking about your hometown. People thought they knew me, but in reality, it wasn't the real me that they saw. And you come back with a changed life, you to hear that. And this is what Jesus was showing his disciples. Is that right? And, and, and not only is the difficulty seen in his own hometown, but the closeness of the circle goes from the hometown to his own kin. Your own kin. And they get closer than that. Than those in your own family. Your loved ones will reject you and say all matter of evil toward you. Oh, I almost finished. And then verse 5 says that he could dare do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. See, notice everybody. Somebody allowed Jesus to do the work. Everybody's not talking about us. Is that right? Everybody that's a captive is not talking about you. That's what I love about this. When they think that everybody's talking about us, no. God has people out there that still loves us. Why did Jesus do no miracles other than with a few sick people? He healed them. In the case, he did perform some miracles. Is that right? But this is a different one because in other places in Capernaum, there was a lot of people. But when he gets to his own hometown, a different outcome. And Jesus did say that your enemies shall be what? Those of your own household. Teaching his disciples. Those he healed were individuals who did not share the prevailing attitudes of their neighbors. The laying on of his hands gave visible evidence that evidence came directly from him. A few sick folks. The word sick means without strength. The people were so consistently unbelieving that they would not even bring their sick so that Jesus can heal them. Wow. And what is the answer to the question, why could Jesus do no miracle other than with a few sick people? Many would say because of their unbelief. I go further than that. Jesus limited himself. Unbelief caused Jesus to limit himself. Now, Keep in mind, Jesus is sovereign. He could overrule their unbelief and did the healing. Is that right? He does not work that way. He has a pattern. And he expects us to operate in faith. And he marveled, verse 6 says, because of what? Because of their unbelief. He was greatly surprised because the people did not have faith. And that word marvel there in the Greek is in the perfect tense implying that this was Jesus' constantly repeated response. He marveled at their unbelief. Wow. He was astonished. All right, are we finished? No, we're not. We got one more. <laughs> Is that right? Look at the last part of verse 6. Let's see that out. He marveled because of their unbelief. We got to get everything in. Is that right? Look what it says. And he went around about the villages teaching. So I don't see anything in that. I do. 
You may not see anything yet. I do. Why did he go around? Because I want to close by telling you today that Jesus was leaving an outgoing mark due to the outcome of time in Nazareth. An outgoing mark is a departing mark. It's not a good mark. It's a departing mark. A mark that he is going away from them and never to return again. Note the text says he went around about the villages. See, went around means in circle, all around them. That means after he left them, he went to the next village and preached. Next village and preached. Next village and preached. Next village and preached. So he went all around that those that were living there in Nazareth saw this. Is that right? So he left them all. Telling them that I'll never come again. See, this word is in the imperfect tense, providing us with a picture of Jesus' visits in one village, then another, then another. See, Jesus took a circuit to all the little towns and villages around about Nazareth, instructing the ignorant country people in the things concerning the kingdom of God. And he was putting his disciples into to view, to let that they must likewise do the same thing. And look what it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 11. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Bear I say unto you, Brother Mike, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Here, in essence, Jesus left because they wanted him to get out. So he left his mark. He shook off the dust from his shoes as he instructed his disciples. And he moved on to the next village. And the Jewish synagogue here is the last record of Mark of Jesus teaching or attending this synagogue. So I want to say to you, be careful of rejecting the teaching of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this message here today.